Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Man, you may be seated. As you're taking your seats, let's turn to our text, which is found in, on pages 15 and 16 of your bulletins. It's 2 Samuel uh, chapter 13. Again, it's a very difficult passage. It deals with the realities, the sad realities of this fallen world. I'm not going to read it in its entirety. I ask you to read it uh, today. But I would like to draw your attention to verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 12. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Put a question mark over the word love. And then glance down to verse 12. She answered him, Tamar answering Amnon, No, my brother, don't violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. Being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was the greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence. The word woman's not even there in the original. Put this out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon 
Your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take it this to heart. Wow. Really? So Tabar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry, period. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. I ran across a quote this week by someone that most of the time I would profoundly disagree with. And yet as I read this quote, I I, I thought to myself, yeah, most of the time I disagree with this man, but here he is spot on. And the theologian that I was reading wrote this, the prophetic task of the church are, one, to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Two, grieve in a society that practices denial. And three, express hope in a society that lives in despair. The prophetic task of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things, according to this man, and I think he's right. To tell the truth in a society that lives in an illusion. Grieve in a society that practices denial, denial, denial. And express hope in a society that lives in despair. Let me talk to you about the society that you are to speak truth to. Let me talk to you about the society that we should grieve over as it practices denial. Let me talk to you about the society that we are to express hope to. It's a society that, at least in this regard, is birthed out of the sexual revolution of the 60s. From the sexual revolution of the 60s to pride parades to Supreme Court rulings such as Bostock, that that are setbacks, to election year politics, to reality TV, to the mainstreaming of pedophilia via Netflix and through a, a, a piece of legislation in California that has been adopted. We live in a society that is not only sex obsessed, but it's a pornified culture. And not only is it, is it sex-obsessed and pornified, but, brothers and sisters, it's a society that sees all these things as good. It's a society that's living in a, a, dangerous, a dangerous illusion, that's living in denial of the, of the sinfulness and the rot and the danger of all this and that's living in a despair that it can hardly even fathom. It doesn't get it. And yet the despair is all around. 
I mean, just take this past week's uh, uh, brouhaha, the controversy of the past several days. It's Netflix movie Cuties. As one reviewer said, that particular movie is to perverts what the Avenger movies are to comic book nerds. And all under the auspices, the rationale of the movie maker that she's trying or they're trying to to warn people of the dangers of the cell phone for children. Now, brothers and sisters, I agree, this is an immense danger to children and to us all, for it opens up to us worlds of depravity. But dear ones, that in no way can or should be used to justify the exploitation of children in a movie that feeds a horrific, real problem in this culture. The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, grieve in a society that practices denial, and express hope in a society that lives in despair. Illusions, denials, despair. And dear ones, we members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are to speak truth into this society. We, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are to grieve over this society as Jesus grieved over Jerusalem. And we, brothers and sisters, members of Christ's church, are to shine hope. And the only hope there is is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to shine the hope of Christ into this dark society. Tell the truth. Grieve and share hope. And in telling the truth, we are armed with truth. Including the unvarnished truth, the gut-level truth of the likes of this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 13. One of the hardest passages of Scripture any pastor ever is called upon to preach. And it's the passage I'm called upon to preach this Sunday. At least the first half. Let's carefully walk through this sordid affair. Let's go into this dark chapter because its lessons are so pertinent for our culture, our society, so pertinent for us. The first thing I want you to see, the first thing I want you to see is what some have called the the retributive and ironic justice of God. The retributive and ironic justice of God. Greg Beale, a New Testament uh, scholar, wrote a, 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 a layman book. It's, a, it's an excellent book. I've used it for a couple of Sunday school lessons with a couple of Sunday school classes here. That book is entitled Redemptive Reversals. And in that book, uh, he discusses this, this repeated truth that we find in Scripture. And not only in Scripture, we find it in history. And that is what he calls retributive irony or retributive justice. 
And that is when God punishes people by the very means of their own sins or through the sins of others that are like unto theirs. Let me give you two biblical examples before we get to the biblical example of our text. Think back earlier in Samuel. King Saul was always after David, was he not? He was always trying to impale David with his spear or with his sword. How did King Saul die? He fell upon his what? Sword. Let me go back earlier. Let's go back to the Israelites uh, in bondage in Egypt. What did the Pharaoh try to do with all the Israelite baby boys? Through midwives or other means. He wanted them what? Thrown into the river Nile where they would do what? Drown. What happened to Pharaoh and his troops in the Red Sea? They drowned. Now the text that is before us. Think about the story that came before. King David had sexual, sexually taken what was not his. He had taken Bathsheba. And now a part of, of, of this world, temporal punishment for David and the ongoing effects of David's sin in this world, what happens? Amnon, his son, takes what is not his. He takes sexually his half-sister, Tamar. And dear ones, in this there is a warning, yes, 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 for us all. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now many of you are old enough to remember an old Harry Chapin song. The Chapin song that I'm thinking of is Cats in a Cradle and a Silver Spoon. Hear the lyrics. Not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but true. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. And the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. 
Well, he came home from college just the other day, so much like a man, a man I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, and the little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. Like father, like son. But it's actually worse than that. Keep going with me into this dark chapter. The second lesson is this, the downward spiral of obscenity and sin. David had committed adultery, abusing his authority, abusing his responsibility as king. What does his son do? Does his son just commit adultery? His son does something more heinous. Amnon commits incestuous rape. Here's the truth to tell the society that is living in an illusion, in a world of illusion. One generation's obscenity, that is, that which you wouldn't speak of openly or show on stage, but you can allude to it. One generation's obscenity is the next generation's normalcy. And dear ones, in a fallen world apart from grace, the direction from one generation to the next is not upward. The direction from one generation to the next is not lateral. The direction from one generation to the next is what? Downward. 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 And those of you who are older than me, you know this, don't you? This society is not the society you grew up in. Those of you who are my age, you know this, don't you? This is not the society we grew up in. And the generation under me, many of you even know this, don't you? This is not the society that you even grew up in. Slippery slopes, brothers and sisters, are real. And, and, and this is what I know. We are not on our knees enough. We are not on our knees enough praying for this new generation. 
We are not on our knees enough praying for the future generations that are to come. We should be crying out on a regular basis, on our knees, unto our God, our God of great and glorious grace, to stop the downward spiral of our own sin and our generation's sin and to spare these coming generations and these precious little ones. What a great place that would be to be on our knees, but the text will not allow us to stay there. Keep going with me. Third lesson from this dark chapter. The required abhorrence of perversion. The required abhorrence of perversion. The writer is a masterful writer. He moves us. We are, we are drawn to this woman, Tamar, are we not? She had been ready to care for her half-brother as a sweet, as a kind sister. She pled with her half-brother. She warned her half-brother with, with the truth that what he intended in his heart to do was an outrageous thing done by outrageous fools. We could translate that differently. We could say done by wicked perverts. Done by godless wretches. That's what she's saying to him. That's what she's warning him of. She speaks truth. He'll have none of it. It's repeated twice. But he would not listen to her. But he would not listen to her. He would have none of it. And in his wickedness and in his power, he wouldn't listen. He would abuse. He would violate. And after that, he would despise her. Young ladies, please hear that. He would despise her. And he would cast her out as a piece of trash. When he got off of her, when he finished, he said but two Hebrew words translated either by three English or four English words. Get up and get out. And then he would say to the servants, when you've tossed her, lock the door. Tamar, Utterly abused, a desolate woman, a desolate sister. Fathers, get this a violated and desolate daughter. And Am Amnon's love? Utterly lust. Do you hear her cry? Do you hear the cries of Tamar's? Do you weep for her? Do you weep for Tamar's? But he would not listen to her. As one commentator put it, 
Amnon has multiplied himself thousands of times in contemporary culture and music, where we meet remarkably one-dimensional characters ruled entirely by their all-powerful parts. Such media glamorize the hard, bitter, sadistic sex they promote but also expose it for those who have eyes to see. But get, get, get this last part of the quote. But teenagers and sixth graders seldom do. Teenagers and sixth graders seldom get the perversion. Before the Me Too day, there has been 2 Samuel chapter 13. And the twice repeated, but he would not listen to her. Dear ones, as we read this chapter, we are meant to abhor Abhor such wickedness, such perversion, such evil. But the question is, do you? Do you really? Do we really abhor it? And if you don't, why do you think that is? Have you become jaded and desensitized? by the perverted, overly sexualized culture in which you find yourself swimming? By exposure to things that you shouldn't be exposed to, whether it's coming through song or through scenes on screens. Do not abhor it because, well, this is just so vile and so gross, you want to quickly turn away. You, you, you want to you think as many uh, uh, positive thoughts and you want to have as much wishful, wishful thinking as you, as you can conjure up. I know it's dark. I know none of us should want to go here. But brothers and sisters, are you denying the weight and the extent of such sexual injustices that our culture just wallows in? If you don't abhor this, maybe, maybe it's because instead of looking and listening enough, you, you look and listen too long. And instead of abhorring, you, you move to becoming fascinated. Let me bluntly put this. Perversion can take up its abode in any human heart. Perversion can take up its abode, brothers and sisters, within your heart. Never think it can't. Let us listen to Tamar's words. Let us see her tears. Let us grieve in a society that practices denial. 
Let us grieve in a society that celebrates. Let us grieve in a society where the fallen natures of men and women just want to be unshackled from any sort of moral constraint there is. Where perversions just become celebrated options. Let us abhor, let us grieve. Finally notice with me one more lesson. The lacking response of righteousness and the crying need for Jesus. At this point in the story, I'm asking myself, I'm beginning to wonder, where's Dad? How will Dad respond? Will he find out what his son and his daughter, what happened to his daughter? Will he, in that process, be reminded of his own personal guilt of taking Bathsheba? That that guilt that that he confessed unto the Lord, that guilt that he no doubt confessed to Bathsheba, that guilt that he confessed publicly by the publishing of Psalm 51, his his prayer of confession that was to be read and to be prayed and to be sung by the Israelites. Was he reminded of his own guilt? And then, if he was, what, what did he do with it? Will he abhor, while pulling out the plank out of his own eye, will he abhor the perversion and the sin of his son Amnon? Would he get righteously angry? And then would he pursue justice for Tamar? Will he be the king that Tamar needed as his citizen? Will he be the dad that Tamar needed? There's one statement here in the text that's even sadder than, but he would not listen to her. And it's really not so much sad because of what it says. It's sad because of what it doesn't say. It's sad because of where the period is. Look at verse 21. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry Period. Abhorrence and anger over wicked perversions and injustices should lead to penitent pursuit of human justice. But it doesn't with David, does it? It didn't with David, did it? It's good that he abhorred. It's good that he got angry. But as uh, Ralph Davis writes, he was very angry, that's good. But that was all. And that's bad. David was irate. He was furious. He He could scarcely contain his rage. But unfortunately, he did. The only thing King David really did, that daddy did, was contain his rage. Amnon remained an unpunished felon. Tamar languished as damaged goods and was not exonerated. And Absalom, 
He becomes a seething vigilante. David was neither the father nor the king that Tamar needed. She needed someone else. Someone to come. Someone who could remove her shame. Did you notice what she said? Verse 13. As for me, where could I carry my shame? Oh dear Tamar, you could carry your shame to Jesus. For He is the one who can remove the shame that is upon you because of the sins of others and can remove the shame for your own sin. She needed Jesus. One who in His first coming bore the wrath and judgment of His perfectly righteous Father in the place of men like David and men and women and boys and girls like us who by His grace entrust ourselves into His hands and confess our guilt and our shame to Him asking that He remove both Both. She needed that, Jesus, so do you. And so do I. And she needed the one who in his second coming will not bear wrath, but will pour it out upon those who do not repent. That day has not yet come. Tamar and martyrs and the saints in heaven and saints on this earth await that day. Until then, remember where we started? The prophetic task of the church or to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. To grieve in a society that practices denial and express hope in a society that lives in despair. Brothers and sisters, until Christ comes again, there is the hope of forgiveness and forgiveness in Jesus Christ for you, for me. There is hope for forgiveness for perverts. We have a task. Let's get to it. Let's pray. Apart from your grace, we will not abhor sin. We will not abhor it found in the Amnons of the world. But more importantly, Father, without your grace, we will not abhor sin and perversion in our very own hearts. 
So right now, I ask that Your Spirit would fall upon every single one of us that we might abhor our own sin, abhor the sins and the brokenness and the vileness of this dark world, that we would cry out unto You for forgiveness, that we would cry out unto You for strength to speak the truth, to grieve over our Jerusalem, and, O Lord, to extend the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Please, Lord, Do not let us go from this place unmoved by Your Spirit. Help us to go from this place as those who know sweet forgiveness and who will even proclaim it to the perverts and the vile and the wicked of this world while there is still time. For we pray this in Jesus' name.